Your listenership is so important to us. We really do hope you're enjoying the show. If you're able to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it would be enormously helpful in allowing us to reach more people and help them get a good night's sleep. So is following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other podcast player that you use. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening. In this episode, I'll be reading five more bedtime stories from The Sandman's Hour by Abby Phillips Walker. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Story One The Rooster That Crowed Too Soon Red Rooster felt it was time he showed the new drake that had come to live in the barnyard that he was a very brave rooster as well as the ruler of the barnyard. So the next time he saw the drake, he said, I suppose you have been in many battles, and no doubt the home you have just come from will miss your protection as well as your company. No, replied the drake, I never was in a battle. I do not quarrel with anyone. I believe in living in peace with all around me. Oh, well, that is all very well for you, perhaps, said the rooster. But for me, it is a different matter. I have to protect all the hens and chickens, and I also protect myself. I can whip any rooster around here, and no one dares come into my yard. The drake did not reply, for just then a strange rooster came into the yard and Red Rooster ran at him with sweeping wings. He pecked at the intruder and spurred him until he was glad to run away. There, what did I tell you, said the rooster, coming back to the drake. I am the greatest fighter around this part of the country. I am not afraid of anything. Oh, don't talk so much about it, said the dog from his house nearby. I think there are a few things even you are afraid of, Mr. Rooster. I guess you would run from a fox. I am not. 
not afraid of a fox, said Red Rooster. I can scare him by crowing loudly. Master knows when I make great noises, it is time for him to find the cause. Oh, I am very brave, and can take care of myself. Red Rooster felt so brave that he thought the highest place he could get on the wall would be a good place to talk about his bravery. So he flew up on the wall by the gate, and then to the top of the hen house. Madam Pig was in her pen on the other side. Madam Pig, he said, did you see me whip that impudent rooster that came through our yard? Madam Pig grunted that she did not, as she could not see over the wall. You surely missed a great sight, said the rooster, stretching his neck and strutting along the roof. I am a brave fellow. I never allow anyone to come around here that does not belong here. I have just been telling the new drake about my prowess and bravery. Mr. Drake, he called, as the new drake and his family waddled past the hen-house. If you need protection at any time, do not hesitate to call upon me. A robin perched upon the roof not far from him, and Red Rooster flew at him. Go away, he said. I am very fierce and brave, and if you were as large as a cow, I should attack you just the same. I am not afraid of anything. Red Rooster strutted up and down, crowing and thinking how brave he was. And so intent was he upon his greatness that he did not heed the warning cries that came from the fowls in the yard below. In a moment more, a big hawk swooped down and held Red Rooster in its claws. He started to fly just as the shot from a gun sounded, and Red Rooster fell to the ground. He jumped up and shook himself, and looked in time to see his master pick up the dead hawk. I guess that hawk won't show himself around here again, he said. That was a very hard fight, but I won, even if I did get a tumble. 
Well, if you are not a conceited fellow, laughed the dog. But I was not the only one that saw the hawk start off with you. And we all know that if Master had not shot it, you would not be here to crow tomorrow morning. No, piped the robin from a tree. You were telling me how brave you were, and the hawk was not half as large as a cow. You were not very brave when he came upon you. You did not do a thing. Oh, dear, it was so funny to hear you crowing about your bravery, and then to see you caught up so soon by a hawk that is only a little larger than you. The drake and all his family were listening, and Madam Pig had put her head over the wall to listen. Poor Red Rooster felt that it was no time to crow about his bravery, so he walked away with all the dignity he could muster. He crowed too soon, said the drake. He crowed too much, said the dog. He crowed too loud, said the robin or he would have heard the warning cries from the hens and the chickens. Story 2 Tearful Once upon a time there was a little girl named Tearful, because she cried so often. If she could not have her own way, she cried. If she could not have everything for which she wished, she cried. Her mother told her one day that she would melt away in tears if she cried so often. You are like the boy who cries for the moon she told her, and if it had been given to him, it would not have made him happy, for what possible use could the moon be to anyone out of the proper place? And that is the way with you. Half the things for which you cry would be of no use to you, if you got them. Tearful did not take warning or heed her mother's words of wisdom, and kept on crying just the same. One morning she was crying as she walked along to school, because she wanted to stay at home, when she noticed a frog hopping alongside her. Why are you following me? she asked, looking at him through her tears. 
because you will soon form a pond around you with your tears, replied the frog, and I have always wanted a pond all to myself. I shall not make any pond for you, said Tearful, and I do not want you following me either. The frog continued to hop along beside her, and Tearful stopped crying and began to run. But the frog hopped faster, and she could not get away from him, so she began to cry again. Go away, you horrid green frog, she said. At last she was so tired that she sat on a stone by the roadside, crying all the time. Now, replied the frog, I shall soon have my pond. Tearful cried harder than ever. Then she could not see. Her tears fell so fast, and by and by she heard a splashing sound. She opened her eyes and saw water all around her. She was on a small island in the middle of the pond. The frog hopped out of the pond, making a terrible grimace as he sat down beside her. I hope you are satisfied, said Tearful. You have your pond. Why don't you stay in it? Alas, replied the frog, I have wished for something which I cannot use now that I have it. Your tears are salt, and my pond which I have all by myself is so salt that I cannot enjoy it. If only your tears had been fresh. I should have been a most fortunate fellow. You needn't stay if you don't like it, said Tearful, and you needn't find fault with my tears either, she said, beginning to cry again. Stop, stop, cried the frog, hopping about excitedly. You will have a flood if you keep on crying. Tearful saw the water rising around her, so she stopped a minute. What shall I do? she asked. I cannot swim, and I will die if I have to stay here. And then she began to cry again. The frog hopped up and down in front of her, waving his front legs and telling her to hush. If you would only stop crying, he said, 
I might be able to help you, but I cannot do a thing if you cover me with salt tears. Tearful listened, and promised she would not cry if he would get her away from the island. There is only one way that I know of, said the frog. You must smile. That will dry the pond and we can escape. But I do not feel like smiling, said Tearful, and her eyes filled with tears again. Look out, said the frog. You will surely be drowned in your own tears if you cry again. Tearful began to laugh. That would be queer, wouldn't it, to be drowned in my own tears, she said. That is right, keep on smiling, said the frog. The pond is smaller already and he stood up on his hind legs and began to dance for joy. Tearful laughed again. Oh, you are so funny, she said. I wish I had your picture. I never saw a frog dance before. You have a slate under your arm, said the frog. Why don't you draw a picture of me? The frog picked up a stick and stuck it in the ground, and then he leaned on it with one arm, or front leg, and, crossing his feet, he stood very still. Tearful drew him in that position, and then he kicked up his legs as if he were dancing, and she tried to draw him in that way, but it was not a very good likeness. Do you like that? she asked the frog when she held the slate for him to see. He looked so surprised that Tearful laughed again. You did not Think you were handsome, did you? she asked. I had never thought I looked as bad as those pictures, replied the frog. Let me try drawing a picture of you, he said. Now, look pleasant, he said, as he seated himself in front of Tearful and do smile. Tearful did as he requested, and in a few minutes he handed her the slate. Where is my nose? asked Tearful, laughing. Oh, I forgot the nose, said the frog. But don't you think your eyes are nice and large, and your mouth too. They are certainly big in this picture, said Tearful. I hope I do not look just like that.
I do not think either of us are artists, replied the frog. Tearful looked around her. Why, where is the pond? she asked. It is gone. I thought it would dry up if you would only smile, said the frog. And I think both of us have learned a lesson. I shall never again wish for a pond of my own. I should be lonely without companions. And then it might be salt, just as this one was. And you surely will never cry over little things again, for you see what might happen to you, and then you look so much prettier smiling. Perhaps I do, said Tearful, but your picture of me makes me doubt it. However, I feel much happier smiling, and I do not want to be on an island again, even with such a pleasant companion as you were. Look out for the tears, then, said the frog as he hopped away. Story 3 Hilda's Mermaid Little Hilda's father was a sailor and went away on long voyages. Hilda lived in a little cottage on the shore and used to spin and knit while her father was away, for her mother was dead and she had to be the housekeeper. Some days she would go out in her boat and fish, for Hilda was fond of the water. She was born and had always lived on the shore. When the water was very calm, Hilda would look down into the blue depths and try to see a mermaid. She was very anxious to see one. She had heard her father tell such wonderful stories about them, how they sang and combed their beautiful long hair. One night when the wind was blowing, and the rain was beating hard upon her window. Hilda could hear the horn warning the sailors off the rocks. Hilda lighted her father's big lantern and ran down to the shore and hung it on the mast of a wreck which lay there, so the sailors would not run their ship upon it. Little Hilda was not afraid, for she had seen many such storms. When she returned to her cottage, she found the door was unlatched, 
but thought the wind had blown it open. When she entered, she found a little girl with beautiful hair sitting on the floor. She was a little frightened at first, for the girl wore a green dress and it was wound around her body in the strangest manner. I saw your light, said the child, and came in. The wind blew me far up on shore. I should not have come up on a night like this, but a big wave looked so tempting. I thought I would jump on it and have a nice ride, but it was nearer the shore than I thought it, and it landed me right near your door. Oh my, how Hilda's heart beat, for she knew this child must be a mermaid. Then she saw what she had thought a green dress was really her body and tail curled up on the floor, and it was beautiful as the lamp fell upon it and made it glisten. Will you have some of my supper? asked Hilda, for she wanted to be hospitable, although she had not the least idea what mermaids ate. Thank you, answered the mermaid. I am not very hungry, but if you could give me a seaweed sandwich, I should like it. Poor Hilda did not know what to do, but she went to the closet and brought out some bread, which she spread with nice fresh butter, and filled a glass with milk. She told her she was sorry, but she did not have any seaweed sandwiches, but she hoped she would like what she had prepared. The little mermaid ate it, and Hilda was pleased. Do you live here all the time? she asked Hilda. I should think you would be very warm, and want to be in the water part of the time. Hilda told her she could not live in the water as she did, because her body was not like hers. Oh, I am so sorry, replied the mermaid. I hoped you would visit me sometime. We have such good times, my sisters and I, under the sea. Tell me about your home, said Hilda. Come and sit beside me and I will, she replied. Hilda sat upon the floor by her side. The mermaid felt of Hilda's clothes and thought it must be a bother to have so many clothes. 
How can you swim? she asked. Hilda told her she put on a bathing suit, but the mermaid thought that a nuisance. I will tell you about our house first, she began. Our father, Neptune, lives in a beautiful castle at the bottom of the sea. It is built of mother of pearl. All around the castle grow beautiful green things, and it has fine white sand around it also. All my sisters live there, and we are always glad to get home after we have been at the top of the ocean. It is so nice and cool in our home. The wind never blows there, and the rain does not reach us. You do not mind being wet by the rain, do you? asked Hilda. Oh no, said the mermaid, but the rain hurts us. It falls in little sharp points and feels like pebbles. How do you know how pebbles feel? Hilda asked. Oh, sometimes the nereids come and bother us. They throw pebbles and stir up the water so we cannot see. Who are the nereids? asked Hilda. They are the sea nymphs, but we make the dogfish drive them away. We are sirens, and they are very jealous of us, because we are more beautiful than they, said the mermaid. Hilda thought she was rather conceited, but the little mermaid seemed to be quite unconscious she had conveyed that impression. How do you find your way home after you have been at the top of the sea? asked Hilda. Oh, when Father Neptune counts us, and finds any missing, he sends a whale to spout. Sometimes he sends more than one, and we know where to dive when we see that. What do you eat besides seaweed sandwiches? asked Hilda. Fish eggs and very little fish answered the mermaid. When we have a party, we have cake. Hilda opened her eyes. Where do you get cake? she asked. We make it. We grind coral into flour and mix it with fish eggs. Then we put it in a shell and send a mermaid to the top of the ocean with it, and she holds it in the sun until it bakes. We go to the Gulf Stream and gather grapes 
and we have sea foam and lemonade to drink. Lemonade, said Hilda. Where do you get your lemons? Why, the sea lemon, replied the mermaid. That is a small mussel fish, the colour of a lemon. What do you do at your parties? You cannot dance, said Hilda. We swim to the music, circle around, and dive and glide. But the music, where do you get musicians? Hilda continued. We have plenty of music, replied the mermaid. The sea elephant trumpets for us. Then there is the pipe fish. The swordfish runs the scales of the sea adder with his sword. And sea shells blob. And all together we have splendid music. But it is late, and we must not talk any more. So the little mermaid curled herself up, and soon they were asleep. The sun shining in the window awakened Hilda next morning, and she looked about her. The mermaid was not there, but Hilda was sure it had not been a dream for she found pieces of seaweed on the floor, and every time she goes out in her boat, she looks for her friend, and when the whale spouts, she knows they are telling the mermaids to come home. Story 4 The Mirror's Dream The very idea of putting me in the attic, said the little old-fashioned table, as it spread out both leaves in a gesture of despair. I have stood in the parlour downstairs for fifty years, and now I am consigned to the rubbish room, and it dropped its leaves at its side with a sigh. I was there longer than that, said the sofa. Many a courtship I have helped along. What do you think of me? asked an old mirror that stood on the floor, leaning against the wall. To be brought to the attic after reflecting generation after generation. All the famous beauties have looked into my face. It is a degradation from which I can never recover. This young mistress who has come here to live does not seem to understand the dignity of our position. Why, 
I was in the family when her husband's grandmother was a girl, and she has doomed me to a dusty attic to dream out the rest of my days. The shadows deepened in the room, and gradually the discarded mirror ceased to complain. It had fallen asleep, but later the moonlight streamed in through the window and showed that its dreams were pleasant ones, for it dreamed of the old and happy days. The door opened softly, and a young girl entered. Her hair was dark and hung in curls over her white shoulders. Her dark eyes wandered over the room until she saw the old mirror. She ran across the room and stood in front of it. She wore a hoop skirt over which hung her dress of pale grey, with tiny pink truffles that began at her slender waist and ended at the bottom of her wide skirt. Tiny pink rosebuds were dotted over the waist and skirt, and she also wore them in her dark curls, where one stray blossom bolder than the other rested against her soft cheek. She stood before the mirror and gazed at her reflection a minute. Then she curtsied and said with a laugh, I think you will do. He must speak tonight. She seemed to fade away in the moonlight, and the door opened again, and a lady entered, and with her came five handsome children. They went to the mirror, and one little girl with dark curls and pink cheeks went close and touched it with her finger. Look, she said to the others, I look just like the picture of mother when she was a girl. And as they stood there, a gentleman appeared beside them and put his arms around the lady, and the children gathered around them. They seemed to walk along the moonlight path and disappeared through the window. Softly the door opened again, and an old lady entered, leaning on the arm of an old gentleman. They walked to the mirror, and he put his arm around her and kissed her withered cheek. You are always young and fair to me, he said, and her face smiled into the depths of the old mirror. The moonlight made a halo around their heads 
as they faded away. The morning light streamed in through the window, and the mirror's dream was ended. By and by the door opened, and a young girl came in the room. Her dark hair was piled high on her head, and her dark eyes looked over the room until they fell upon a chest in the corner. She went to it and opened it and took out a pale grey dress with pink ruffles. She put it on, then she let down her hair, which fell in curls all over her shoulders. She ran to the old mirror and looked at herself. I do look like grandmother, she said. I will wear this to the old folks' party tonight. Grandfather proposed to grandmother the night she wore this dress. Her cheeks turned very pink as she said this, and she ran out of the room. Then one day the door opened again, and a bride entered, leaning on the arm of her young husband. There were tears in her eyes, although she was smiling. She led him in front of the old mirror. This old mirror, she said, has seen all the brides in our family for generations, and I am going far away and may never look into it again. My brother's wife does not want it downstairs, and I may be the last bride it will ever see. And she passed her hand over its frame caressingly. And then she went away, and the old mirror was left to its dreams for many years. Then one day the door opened again, and a lady entered. With her was a young girl. The lady looked around the attic room until she saw the mirror. There it is, she said. Come and look in it, dear. The young girl followed her. The last time I looked into this dear old mirror, said the lady, was the day your father and I were married. I never expected to have it for my own then, but your uncle's wife wants to remodel the house, and these things are in the way. She does not want old-fashioned things, and they are willing I should have them. Oh, mother, they are beautiful, said the girl looking around the room. 
We will never part with them again. We will take them to our home and make them forget they were ever discarded. And so the mirror and the sofa and the table and many other pieces of bygone days went to live where they were loved. And the old mirror still reflects dark-haired girls and ladies who smile into the depths and see its beauty as well as their own. Story 5 The Contest The old white rooster was dead. The hens stood in groups of three and four all around the yard. The turkeys were gathered around the big gobbler and seemed to be talking very earnestly. The ducks stood around the old drake who was shaking his head emphatically as he talked. The geese were listening very attentively to the gander, and he was stretching his neck and seemed to be trying to impress them with its length. I see no reason now why I should not be king of the yard, he was saying. White rooster is dead, and there is no other rooster to take his place. I am going to see the hens and ask them what they think. White rooster is dead, he said to them, and I think I should be king of the yard. My neck is very long and I can see over the heads of all the fowls. I see no reason why I should not take the place of white rooster. The turkeys and the geese, seeing the gander approach the hens, ran as fast as they could to hear what he was saying. The turkey gobbler, Hearing the last part of the gander's remark, said, How can you say that you can see over all heads? Have you forgotten me and my height? And so for being king, he said, The rooster never should have been cock of the walk. I am a much more majestic-looking bird than any rooster. No, indeed, you should never think of ruling, Sir Gander. I should be king of the yard. The gobbler walked away, spreading out his wings and letting them drag on the ground and gobbling very loudly. 
The ducks and the drake stood listening to all this talk, and as the gobbler walked away, the drake said, I cannot understand why anyone should think of being king when I know so much of the world. I am the one to rule, for I have been all around the pond, and it is very large. Because of my knowledge, I think I should be king. He must not be king, whispered one of the old hens to another. He would make us go in the water, and we will all be drowned. They had talked a long time without reaching any decision, when the dog happened along. What is the matter? he asked. The old white rooster is dead, said the gobbler who had returned with his family to hear the discussion. And I think I should be king, and the drake and the gander think they should, but of course you can see that I am best suited to rule the yard. You can settle that very easily, said the dog. You can all take a turn at being king, and in that way you will know who is best suited to rule. And so it was decided, and the gobbler was the first one to go on trial. The poor hens tagged along after the turkey for the gobbler insisted upon parading all around the yard. The gander and the drake would not follow behind, so the gander and his family walked on one side of the gobbler, and the drake and his family on the other. The poor hens wept as they followed behind. I never was so humiliated in my life, said one old hen, and it is not right. The next day there was so much dissatisfaction because of the gobbler's overbearing way that the dog decided that the drake must take his turn. Everybody must learn to swim, said the drake as soon as he was appointed ruler. Come down to the pond, and off he started, his family waddling after him. What did I tell you, said the old hen, this will be the end of us. The geese did not mind being in the water part of the time, but the turkeys set up such a gobble, and the hens cackled so loudly, that the dog had to decide right there that the drake was not a suitable king. The gander, 
knowing that his time had come, stretched his neck and looked very important. You need not go near the pond, he said to the hens, but you must learn to fly. And he spread out his wings as he spoke and flew over the fence. The geese followed him. The turkey flew to the top of the fence and roosted there, but the hens and ducks stood on the ground, looking up at them in the most discouraged way, and at the gobbler, who gobbled at them, saying, You are to be pitied, for you do not see all the sights we do and you never can fly to the top of this fence. There is the master, he said. He is coming down the road, and he has something under his arm. I'll tell you what it is when he gets nearer. The hens were trying to look under the fence and through the holes. The gobbler looked for a minute, and then he said, I do believe. Then he stopped. Yes, it is, he continued, looking again. It's a rooster. The gobbler flew down, and the turkeys followed, and the master drove the gander and his family to the yard. You will get your wings clipped tomorrow, he said, and then from under his arm he released a big yellow and black rooster, which flew to the ground, looked about, spread his wings, and crowned in a way that plainly said, I am cock of this walk and king of the yard let none dispute my rights the drake collected his family and started for the pond the gander and geese followed along behind the turkey spread his wings and held his head high as he strutted away with his family but he did not impress the new rooster. He was ruler, and he knew it. Now the sun will know when to rise, said one hen, and we shall know when to wake. Yes, said another, and we shall have had a narrow escape. It looked for a while as if our family were to lose its social standing. But now that we have a new king, we can hold up our heads again and look down on the others if we have to go to the top of the woodpile to do it. The dog laughed to himself as he walked away. 
I knew all the time, he said, that the new rooster was coming, but I thought it would do them good to know they were only fitted to care for their own flock.'